Astonishingly enough, Luke has preserved for us only one full-length sermon from Paul, and that's the one that's found here in Acts chapter 13. It may be that Luke thought they have 13 or 14 epistles. They don't need as many sermons of Paul as they do of Peter. But let's read this sermon that Paul preaches near his own, his own territory. He's in Pisidian Antioch, which is not too far from Tarsus, where he was born and raised. So, Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think that I am? I am not he. Behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him, and though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he says in another place, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, 
For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Let's pray. Father, help us to listen to this sermon, to heed this warning. Be with my mouth, help me to speak boldly and accurately concerning you. Free us all from distraction and give us the grace to listen to your word and to be changed by it from one degree of glory to the next. We pray these things in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul preaches in Pisidian Antioch, and he tells the people a short history of Israel, and then he warns them, if you don't accept the promises, you will be destroyed. And he ends on that note. He doesn't end on an altar call. Come now and be saved. He ends on a warning. You will be destroyed if you don't listen. The gospel comes to Asia for the first time. Remember they were on Cyprus last week. Our text begins with them sailing away from Cyprus. The short trip up to what is today the Turkish mainland. And there... They go through Perga and then come to Antioch in Pisidia. Paul preaches in Antioch of Pisidia and declares this, that God is faithful despite his people's unfaithfulness, but God will judge those who presume on his patience. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful, but he judges those who presume on his patience. That's Paul's one and only sermon here in the book of Acts. So we start with Christ's reign coming to Asia. Remember we saw last week that Christ loves islands and he brought his reign to the island of Cyprus. Now we see that Christ's reign comes to Asia. He loves continents too. He comes to Asia Minor, which was, is what we call it. It was just called Asia in those days by the Greeks. Paul is going to his Home territory, essentially. So he comes to the town of Antioch, and there are at least 15 Antiochs that have been found around the ancient Near East, most of them named after the Hellenistic king Antiochus, or Antiochus, <coughs> kind of like Springfield here in the United States. There are different sources that I read said 33, 35, 38 different towns, cities, or census-designated places named Springfield in these United States, including something like 11 Springfield townships in the state of Ohio. So, Antioch is the Springfield of the ancient Near East. Paul and Barnabas, of course, set out from Antioch in Syria, just at the beginning of chapter 13, and now they come to a different Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. Now, it's a little bit like, oh, there's conquered Massachusetts, and then 60 miles away is conquered New Hampshire. Same name, different states, same name city, different provinces of the Roman Empire. Paul is in city in Antioch, and he preaches this sermon that ends up sounding a lot like Peter's sermon in Acts 2, mixed with Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. Why does Paul do this? Well, part of it, no doubt, is that what 
Paul, what Peter and Stephen were doing is the same thing Paul is doing. He's speaking to an audience that he has reason to believe is going to be somewhat hostile. And he's trying to start on common ground with the historical narration. Here's something we can all agree on. God brought us out of Egypt. God brought us into Canaan. God gave, them, gave us Saul and David. Remember, Paul is preaching to his own people. That's what he starts with. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. So he's preaching to his own family. And he's describing the history of the family, of the Jewish people. He's a Jew speaking to Jews. And he says, we experience this. Our fathers experience this. So as with Stephen, there's no conflict like family conflict. And when you're fighting with your own siblings over the nature of what your family is about, things can get ugly very quickly. So Paul tries to establish a lot of common ground. He starts by saying, God chose Israel, and Israel fought him. And thus, God put up with them in the wilderness. Ouch. Some manuscripts actually have a variant here and say, God carried them in the wilderness. And that sounds more cuddly, but it seems pretty clear that Paul actually said, God put up with us in the wilderness. And he destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, gave us land, gave us judges, gave us Saul, gave us David. And Israel didn't respond very well. Right? He doesn't say specifically how the people behave, but to say... Judges, for 450 years, reminds us of a bad time in Israel's history. Oh yeah, the book of Judges. Oh yeah, terrible things happening. People sacrificing their sons, or worshiping Baal, or Gideon saying, I'm not a king, and then naming his son, my father is a king. And things like that. All happened during this period of the Judges, and Paul just reminds his own people our track record is not the greatest. But God then he moves straight from David to the son of David. From this man's seed, from the seed of David, God raised up a Savior who is Jesus. And he describes a little bit about Jesus. John the Baptist says, this one is greater than me. Paul seems to be saying, I agree with John. Jesus is greater than me too. He's greater than any of us here. He is the one promised by God to be the Messiah. And so, then Paul goes on to say, those who dwell in Jerusalem, they didn't know Him. They rejected Jesus, and it's a warning. Don't reject Jesus. The people of Jerusalem did. And if they can do it, so can you. If the sophisticates in Jerusalem don't realize that Jesus is the true Messiah, provincial people like us out here in Pisidia, we may not be able to get it either. So it's Paul's warning. We can be just as bad as the Jerusalemites. Notice too how Paul addresses throughout not just the Jews, but also the God-fearers. Verse 16, men of Israel and you who fear God. And then again, verse 26, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Two different kinds of people at the synagogue. There's Jews 
and God-fearers, that is, Gentiles, who like what they get at the synagogue, but have not undergone circumcision and been adopted as Jews. They enjoy hearing the word of God. They profit from the synagogue. So Paul is speaking to both of them, Jew and Gentile, which of course follows on from what we saw in chapter 11. The good news going out, not just to Jews, but also to Greeks. Paul is preaching to Jews and to Greeks. And he preaches that Jesus lost. Jesus was put to death. They fulfilled all that was written concerning him. They had Pilate put him to death. They condemned him. And they laid him in a tomb. Paul doesn't sugarcoat the message. He doesn't say, I'm asking you to follow someone whose life was a triumph from beginning to end. No, I'm telling you about the son of David who was a failure, who was rejected by the establishment and killed by the Roman authorities at the request of our own people. The message is not, you'll get tired of winning. The message is, please come follow this one who lost, who died, and then who won by a whole new set of rules. God raised Jesus and kept his promise to Israel. God raised him from the dead, And Paul cites these eyewitnesses. He was seen for many days by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses to the people. There's witnesses of this. Jesus did rise from the dead. And here's good news. God kept his promise to the fathers. The promise of salvation, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of taking away sins, and especially, seemingly, The promises of the Psalms. And Paul cites Psalm 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 49, along with Isaiah 55 and 1 Kings 2. Five different passages that all say, here's promises God made. All of them are fulfilled in Jesus. So he quotes from Psalm 2, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is the Son of God. And that, to this day, remains the point of disagreement between Christians and Jews. And Christians and Muslims. As our Muslim friends say, Allah has no son, nor is there another. And for Paul to say, he is the son of God, as it says right in your own Bible, in Psalm 2. is a revolutionary challenge to the Judaism that he had grown up in. Jesus is the Son of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah 55, I will give you the sure mercies of David. We use that for our confession of sin and assurance of pardon this morning. God's certain promises to David that can't be undone, that can't be taken away, that God will never renege on. Those are holy promises. They're sure promises. And they're promises for everyone who trusts in Jesus. So he then quotes Psalm 16, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. David saw corruption. Jesus didn't. Same argument Peter makes in chapter 2. Therefore, since Jesus didn't rot in the tomb, He's the Messiah. He's the one promised in the Psalms. By Him, therefore, Paul says, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul uses his favorite word, justification, justified. And he says, Moses' law has some value. 
Through Moses, you can be forgiven for certain sins. Normal, everyday sins. You can bring your sacrifice and you can get forgiveness. But there are other sins, the big sins that Moses' law can do nothing for. And that's Psalm 51. David says, you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it. You can read Leviticus all you want. There is no sacrifice in there for when you committed adultery and murdered your lover's husband. Not there. God, there was no provision for forgiveness in the Levitical system for a major sin like that. And so Paul says, we've all grown up in Judaism. We understand that you can be forgiven for certain things and other things cross the line. And when you cross the line, oh well, there's no provision in our system for that. But Jesus makes provision for that. And that's the message of the church. And that's then what we have to be about as a church. Not, oh, you're too bad to come in here. Oh, you've crossed the line. There's no forgiveness for you. No, there's forgiveness for anything in the church through Christ. And that's the message that Paul is preaching to his fellow Jews and to the God-fearing Gentiles of Pisidian Antioch. Come to Jesus to find forgiveness. God will no longer hold your sin against you. And then he ends, he states this about forgiveness. God will justify everyone who believes in him. And he ends with a warning. So beware. God is a forgiving God. Beware. Why does Paul do that? Move from forgiveness to the warning Well, the warning is for those who reject the message of forgiveness. Those who say the system of Moses is good enough for me, it was good enough for my grandfather, it's good enough for my father, it's good enough for me, I don't need this new Messiah that you're preaching, Paul. Paul says, okay, come with me to the book of Habakkuk. He doesn't have to explain at length what he's talking about because the audience knows the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived shortly before the invasion and destruction of Judah in 586 BC. You could read the geopolitical situation and he saw that Babylon was coming and was going to destroy God's people. And he got upset about that. God, this evil, wicked nation is coming and they are going to tear us to shreds, destroy our temple cast down our institutions, take us all into exile, and essentially wipe out everything you've built here. How is this possible? How can you use the wicked to accomplish your righteous plan? Habakkuk takes this to God, and God responds to him. God's opening words in the book of Habakkuk are this verse that Paul quotes, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, the one were, declare, were to declare it to you. And then God goes on and declares it. What's the work? That he's sending Babylon to come and destroy the temple, cast down every stone in the city of Jerusalem, take the whole city into exile, and essentially grind Judah into the dust and make it into a different province, the province of the Babylonian Empire that is no longer the place where God dwells with his people and instead is just another conquest 
on Nebuchadnezzar's list of places he's conquered. God says, yes, I'm going to do that. Be amazed that I'm destroying my people. And Paul ends his sermon with that. If you reject Jesus, you're in the position of Judah in 586 B.C., thinking that you can fight off the Babylonian Empire. It's not going to happen. It's not possible for you to fend off Babylon because God sent them. That was Habakkuk's message to his contemporaries. That was God's message to Habakkuk. And so Paul quotes that and says, listen to what I'm telling you, my Jewish brothers, my God-fearing friends. God destroyed us 600 years ago when we wouldn't listen to him. And he's about to do it again. So you better listen to him. That's the message that he preaches in Pisidian Antioch. And oddly enough, verse 42, the Gentiles begged to hear more. And many of the Jews wanted to hear more too. In fact, to the point, verse 44, that almost the whole city came together the next Sabbath to hear the word of God. Paul was speaking about something they were interested in. Now, just like for a brief moment in the 1970s, the apocalyptic preoccupations of the secular world intersected with the apocalyptic preoccupations of the American dispensational church. So, here in Pisidian Antioch, those who are wondering, what is the future for the Jews, heard Paul come and give this threat and said, we have to hear more. So we'll talk about that next week and how Paul turns to the Gentiles when the Jews reject this message. But Paul warns them in this sermon, don't reject the message. You're sitting ducks like Israel was 600 years ago. God keeps his promises. That's why he sent Jesus. God also keeps his threats. That's why he sent Nebuchadnezzar. Two sides of the same coin. Don't blow off the promises because if you do, you will get the threats. And God does keep his threats just like he keeps his promises. Well, that's Paul's message in Pisidian Antioch. Go to Jesus and accept the promises or the threats will come and crush you. And that's still the message to us. It's not there's salvation or basically something just as good as salvation. Take your pick. It's not what the scriptures offer. You can have Christ or Satan. But you have to choose one or the other. Heaven or hell. Believing and accepting God's promises or instead bringing His curse on yourself. That's what Paul preaches to his own family, to the Jewish people. God destroyed nations in Canaan. God judged 
Israel with judges and then removed Saul the son of Kish. Right? The historical examples he chooses are not random. He's saying, hmm, God judged Egypt. God judged Saul. God judged the judges. God judged the Canaanites. Oh, and God judged his own people too in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And now is one of those days again when he will judge or save. So believe in him and be saved. Don't reject him and be lost. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe. To hold fast to our faith no matter what the world throws at us. We thank you for this warning that came from Paul. To look and see your judgment at work in history. We thank you, Father, that you keep your threats because that means that you keep your promises. We ask that you would be faithful to keep those promises to us. Give us the holy and sure mercies promised to David. Thank you that Jesus is your son, your only begotten one, and that you begot him on the day of eternity. And that he is one in substance with you and also one in substance with us. Truly God, truly man who came to save us from your judgment, your wrath. Lord, we pray for our Jewish friends today. We ask that they would listen to the words of their compatriot, the Apostle Paul. That you would open their ears, that you would take away the veil from their hearts so that they can understand the fulfillment of Jesus, a Jewish man who came and lived and died to save not only the Gentiles, but especially his own people. Father, we thank you that the gospel came to Asia. Christ reigns there. And we pray for the church in Turkey today that you would continue to spread your gospel. We thank you for our missionaries who labor there. We pray that you would increase their tribe, that the church would flourish once again all over Anatolia. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, your risen Son, our Lord. Amen.